Hi, I'm Stacey Shoemaker-Round, Editor-in-Chief of Hospitality Design Magazine with HD's What I've Learned podcast. The iconic Ian Traeger joined me for a fireside chat during our second annual Elevate conference held in October in New York. During the hour-long discussion, Schrager was candid about his Studio 54 days and his friendship with longtime business partner Steve Rubell. Always humble, Schrager said he's not afraid to make mistakes and try something else. Whether he's cultivating game-changing hotels like Morgan's and the Royalton or expanding his addition in public brands, he says it all comes down to conjuring something magical. And for that, it's all about the details because as he says, you never know which one it is that pushes the experience over the edge. Today's podcast is sponsored by Global Allies. I'm here with Adam from Global Allies. Adam, any big Global Allies news recently? Yes, we removed the password protection from our website, globalallies.com, so you no longer need an account to access our specs or our 3D models. Global Allies, they're breaking down barriers. So we talked about this in your memoir in our November issue. But your road to hospitality wasn't such a straight one. Um, talk to us about growing up in Brooklyn and then ultimately becoming a lawyer at first. I was born in the Bronx. And Bronx, sorry. Grew up in Brooklyn, yeah. so I have uh, all the credentials. <laughs> gun, gunslinger from Brooklyn. Uh, and uh, I went to school up in Syracuse. I didn't really know uh, what I wanted to do, so I, I, I went to law school, thinking that it would... Uh, give me some edge in the business world. And it did. Uh, and uh, then um, we had sold Studio 54 to uh, a guy who uh, couldn't pay uh, the promissory notes. And so we then traded uh, the promissory notes he owed us for his interest in a hotel. Uh, and um, that's where we got started in the hotel business. Um, yeah. So can we go back a little bit? How did you meet Steve Rubell and ultimately decide to do Studio 54? We, uh, <clears throat> Steve lived in the same neighborhood, but it was in a different school district. Uh, and so, could, which means I think we kind of grew up with the same values, um, uh, which is great. I had a great childhood. You know, everybody was wanted to do better than their parents. It's upwardly mobile. Uh, and uh, then we went to school. Steve was older than I, and he was a senior. I was a freshman. Uh, we met up in school, and we became just instant friends. Steve was the mayor uh, of Syracuse. Uh, he uh, used to play tennis uh, with the chancellor. Uh, he uh, used to give out the football tickets to the football stadium. So, you know, uh, we just, you know... T- I don't know, maybe it was the people from Brooklyn. Everybody has come from Westchester and Long Island, and there weren't that many people from Brooklyn up there. So <laughs> we just gravitated together and became really, really, really great friends. Uh, he, um, uh, when he got out of school, uh, he uh, tried to do, uh, there was a, in upstate New York, a, a fast food hamburger place called Carol's. He tried to do it, and he got kind of... Uh, treated disingenuously by people. So the next thing he did, he went into the steak business. That's when that phenomenon about pay five ninety five, you get all the steak, all the salad, all the sink where you can <laughs> drink. And um, he expanded quickly, uh, and uh, he was uh, stretched with the cash, cash flow, didn't have enough money to pay for things. And I was a lawyer, he became 
my client and I kept the creditors uh, at bay uh, <laughs> for him to uh, uh, survive. And then, you know, at that point, uh, this is just in New York City uh, when the baby boomers were coming here and, you know, that age that everybody wants to meet. Uh, it was just the emergence of the gay uh, influence on culture. Uh, the, you know, there were nightclubs uh, that were uh, emerging, people standing online, taking abuse to get in. I thought uh, that's good business for us. Uh, uh, so, uh, and uh, the first thing we were going to do is we were going to do four clubs in um, the restaurant spaces after the restaurants closed. Uh, that fell apart. We had done one club in Boston, a, a big gay club right across the street from uh, Fenway Park. And I was there when the guy who was doing it, uh, and I told Steve, I, I could do this. You know, I, I saw the way he did it and put it together and everything. And you know, I thought, you know, I, I could do this. So then we just decided to do one on our own. And uh, it was studio. It was one of those things that you don't know what you don't even know. You know, you're not sure, uh, which I think a lot of uh, entrepreneurs do. And uh, just took off like a, like holding onto a lightning bolt. It just, it was just a natural, natural hit. Yeah. I've had natural hits and I've had other things I had to work at. But this uh, studio was a natural. Why do you think it was such a hit? I mean, looking back, was it what was it about the space? Just was it, you know, the atmosphere, the moments that you created, the velvet rope outside? <laughs> what was it? Why? Why do you think there was such a you know, I, um, great falling? I'm often asked this. Um, I, you know, I, nobody can <clears throat> really t tell for certain, but I think there was uh, there aren't many times in life when somebody can really experience true freedom. There isn't anything you couldn't do. You couldn't get up the next morning and walk away from. Uh, there was just uh, you know, celebrities all over the place and nobody cared. It was just a rollicking freedom that uh, you know everybody had. And I, I gotta think that that was, uh, that was at the, the basis of it. You know, when I was in law school, we studied Woodstock. Um, about how 400,000 people can get together with no police force, uh, no laws, and how they can all get along. But I, but I think, even though we're all hearing about Woodstock now, I think more people talk about studio as a seminal event. My kids, uh, so it, it was a phenomenon, uh, you know. Um, <laughs> was just it, held on. Yeah. Was there anything that you learned? I mean, I'm sure you learned so much uh, during that time, but was there anything about the design or the atmosphere that you have kept with you for the rest of your career? Well, I learned to pay my taxes. The good part about uh, being in the nightclub business, you know, for me, is um, that there's no discernible product. Uh, you don't have anything that everybody else doesn't have. It's the same music, the same liquor, the same everything. So all you can do to distinguish yourself is create that that magic, that alchemy. When it all comes together, it kind of, you know, makes people's heart beat a little faster. And so I, I, I think 
with not having a product and trying to create this demand by people to come there, it kind of gave us an edge when I went into uh, the hotel business because I didn't rely on the bed. I relied on uh, creating the magic again. And, uh, and I think that has always been um, the, the distinguishing factor. And I think the same thing with Apple and same thing with Disney. It's, it's always that uh, kind of undefinable thing that happens when somebody just puts everything all together and, you know, like the soup comes out at the end. You're not sure how it's going to come out. Uh, and uh, it, it resonates with people. Was there one memory of Studio 54? We talked about this a little bit with the memoir, but was there one night or event or moment at Studio 54 that you still remember or look back on? You know, I had a lot of memories. (laughs) Um, I think that the first one, which I always tell people, uh, we opened up the first night we opened. uh, And, um, you know, I remember going home around 1.30 or 2.00, uh, maybe a little later, Steve stayed till the end. Uh, and, uh, you know, so I got a phone call from Steve like uh, 6 o'clock in the morning. Uh, you know, we were on the front page of the New York Post. <laughs> it was like a drum. The front page of the New York Post. It's like we arrived. I mean, I mean, nobody had ever been on the front page. I mean, the fact that they didn't have... It was a picture of Cher. They didn't have Studio 54 in the caption. We had a fight to get Studio 54 in the caption in the later editions, but for some reason that just, uh, that was like, we did it, you know? Uh, and uh, so that, plus I have a lot of, uh, a lot of other memories. Yeah, sure you do. <laughs> Which I ain't telling. <laughs> um, and I always found it interesting that you said the velvet rope outside was a little bit of necessity because of where Studio 54 was located. Can you talk a little bit about how that came to be? You know, what we were, we were trying to think about how people were going to be selected uh, and they were going to come in and pay. Uh, you know, we didn't want them to stop too many, too many spots because it become, you know, onerous. So they had to stop at the cold check. They had to stop and buy a ticket. They had to give their ticket. They had to get chosen. So uh, we were in a very bad neighborhood. The Times Square at that time was really, you know, you know, it was not only unsafe, it was unsavory. It was, you know, it was just, it wasn't a good neighborhood. In retrospect, it turned out good because you can have a nightclub in a neighborhood like that. Nobody's <laughs> going to bother you. Um, but, um, so we, we didn't want to street people. We wanted to, we, we wanted to have <clears throat> only uh, party people. You know, there's nothing to do with wealth or race or creed or color or anything like that. And we were naive about that because that selection process was kind of, you know, offended the elite and and uh, it was kind of felt undemocratic. But to us, it was the most democratic. I mean, we were choosing people because we wanted people to have a good time. We wanted to, you know, have people that would be accredited to the party, you know, that women could come there and not be bothered by guys. Uh, you know, that celebrities can come there and not be asked for autographs. So we were making selections. <clears throat> Originally, the rope was to keep out, you know, the hookers and all the street people. Uh, uh, but then it kind of, uh, you know, became, you know, part of the show. Uh, Steve was was really good at it because he had this kind of personality that he could say no 
people and it wouldn't be offensive. <laughs> He'd get away with it because he was just, uh, somebody else tried to do it and he would come off as, as mean. Uh, and um, it wasn't a marketing thing. We were exercising the same judgment. One exercises when you have a party over your home. Or when you have a party, a dinner party, you want to put somebody talkative next to somebody not so talkative, which is perfectly fine, but, but you can't uh, do that in, in the public, public domain. And people got really aggravated about it. You know, uh, um, yeah. <laughs> we didn't really care. Um, <laughs> Talk a little bit about how you and Steve complemented each other as business partners and, I mean, friends for... So many years. You know, um, uh, you know, when you're, you're lucky when you have a friend and a partner like that. You're lucky if you get married to somebody like that. Uh, you know, we uh, were just, uh, you know, the left brain, the right brain. It wasn't uh, Mr. Inside or Mr. Outside. It, it, it's an oversimplification. You know, uh, um, you know, we just, uh, and it wasn't anything defined. We both gravitated toward what we each liked, and, and, and uh, you know, I couldn't do what he did, and he couldn't do what I did. And, uh, you know, uh, if, he, if he was out getting uh, most of the credit or all of the credit, uh, it was fine with me, because if he got the credit, I got the credit. It was a kind of, that kind of uh, uh, love affair. Uh, and, um, you know, uh, we complimented each other. So if I, if I wanted to ask something, you know, I would ask Steve what he thought about something. You know, if I wanted, if somebody came into the, into, into the club and I wanted Steve to, uh, uh, Steve, there's Halston, just get friendly with him. Uh, you know, it, it just, it, 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 it worked like that. Um, you know, we were 50-50 partners. Uh, and so, um, you know, it was just, it really was a one plus one makes three. You know, I've often, uh, people, uh, you know, one, one person once said that uh, if Steve and I weren't partners, we both would have been successful, but not as successful if we would have, uh, uh, bit would have been together. You know, I think in the hotel business in particular, you know, we, I think if Steve were around because he was a networker, uh, I think, uh, you know, we, we would have much, much more outlet commensurate with the, the ideas we contributed. Um, I didn't care about that. I, I just, I liked creating it. But I think if Steve were here, you know, I mean, you know, Bill Marriott and, and, and the, those companies are recent phenomenons and they grew. I think... Uh, I, I, you know, I don't want to feel sorry for me, but I think that <laughs> we, we could have done that. Um, but, and too bad Steve isn't around uh, to uh, uh, see the success of everything. Yeah. And it's been 40 years since Studio 54, and you decided to uh, do a documentary, which is amazing if you haven't seen it. Um, why did you decide now is the good time to really talk about it? Because you didn't talk about it, about it much until then. Well, I was embarrassed about what had happened. Uh, I was really embarrassed with my kids, uh, just uh, totally embarrassed. Uh, and uh, so, it, and it still hurt to talk about it. I'm still embarrassed by it, frankly. 
Uh, but I think, you know, having gone through the career and, you know, having done deals with really great people and, um, you know, I, and, um, I, I thought it was, uh, I had to come to grips with it. I had to tell my kids. I had to, uh, to send, I uh, remember, you know, uh, one time there was a VH1, for those who, re- who remember that, there was a, um, <laughs> yes. a program uh, about uh, Studio 54, and my daughters were in there, and it said something about uh, that, that I, I went to jail, and my, my daughters were there, and there was a Yale. I, I went, went to Yale. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was, I still am embarrassed about it. So, um, uh, you know, uh, I just felt, and, but I, I started to get a little uh, uh, frustrated because not having talked about it kind of opened up uh, the arena for everybody to come. These revisionists all come and start saying things. I mean, there are people, DJs and other, other things that just, it just didn't happen. So I kind of wanted to set the record straight. I, I uh, Barry Gordy wrote a book. On, on Motown and said, uh, you know, if, if the hunter doesn't tell a story, the lion will. Uh, and that kind of resonated with me. And so I just thought it would be time to, uh, you know, to tell a story. Yeah. And uh, yeah. I'm going to do, uh, I'm gonna do a, a show uh, on, on the studio. Oh. Uh, um, a, you know, a, a new theatrical... Um, experience, um, which you're working on now. That's pretty cool. I mean, because the design, I mean, yes, it was a lot about the celebrities and the moments, and but the design of studio, I mean, you put a lot of thought and soul into that and brought in kind of a dream team. Some of them you still work with. You know, it, it happened again by opportunity. You know, uh, the uh, uh, when we went into the business, uh, it was the garage phase of it. Uh, you know, like the way the garage phase with rock and roll, the garage phase with inventing technology in a in a in a in a you know uh, somebody's home. So it was a very raw, inexpensive, you know, um, kind of thing. So there was only one guy that did lights, and there was only one guy that did sound, and they were told not to work with us. Um, <laughs> so you know, we were forced to go to other people. You know, we, we we were forced to consider people from the theater, from the film, from radio, from music. And uh, uh, we thought that the theater people were the most down-to-earth and the most creative. Let's do a show. That their uh, attitude. And, and uh, so we went with uh, Jules Fisher and Paul Morantz. I mean, really brilliant, you know, lighting people and... Uh, you know, we were the we were first to go to a designer, a young designer who had done some restaurants in um, in Soho. So there was an effort to take everything that was out there, put it all together, and try and take it up a notch. Uh, and that's when that the magic happened. Um, and the, the the moving of the props in and out, and all those kind of things. You know, we did things from rock concerts, and 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 it just the people were just mesmerized by it when they would, you know, they would they would come in and they they would see like this uh, frenzy on the dance floor, uh, frenzy, uh, and uh, it was uh, 
I remember one taking two record guys, two big shot record guys in there, and they went then he one guy said to his partner, you see what's going on out there? You know, uh, it was just it was just a spectacle. Yeah. It was just it was fun for us. Yeah. And I love how you call them moments. Like you'd have little it wasn't performances. It was a moment, and then it and then they kind of went back out. So you never completely disrupted what was naturally happening on the dance floor. We're always afraid to stop the party uh, because uh, you run the risk of not being able to start it again. So uh, we never did anything that lasted more than a second, a minute. It was like a a, a punch, a pinch, just uh, to get someone. Here it is. It's gone. Uh, and um, never wanted to stop everything that was going on. I mean, uh, because uh, you run the risk, you can't start it up again. Yeah. And so let's get to hotels, because after Studio 54, break, and then there's Palladium. Um, and then, so you mentioned that for Morgan's, you sold the note, and that's how you got into the hotel business. Did you ever want to go in the hotel business, or was this, you know, serendipitous? Or? We went in the hotel business, and we didn't have a liquor license. We couldn't serve liquor. For a couple of years, right? Right. It shows you how strong. Uh, if the product is strong, it doesn't matter. Uh, and um, so uh, we uh, did Morgan's, and we hired a European designer, uh, which uh, was treacherous because they have different bathing habits. And <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean that seriously. Like uh, in, in, in Europe, they don't care if the water closet is in a different room from, from the sink. I, um, they don't care. <laughs> you know, in America, they do care. You know, we, we have our sinks at 30 inches, and you know, they have their sinks that are higher. So there, there's just differences. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they like square pillows. We have rectangular pillows. Uh, uh, so, uh, but we thought that by going with this European designer, we would get a different look by definition, which is something I still do today. No experiences, no hindrance to me in hiring somebody. You get fresh ideas, new ideas, and uh, and uh, we broke every rule uh, in the in the hotel business by questioning. Uh, whether there was a reason for the rule or there wasn't a reason for the rule. You know, uh, you, uh, you know, you have to have nylon carpet uh, in the room, wool carpet in the corridor, because the nylon carpet gets changed a lot. That makes sense. We're going to follow that. Uh, everybody has um, vinyl or wallpaper, you know, on the wall um, and not paint. We're not going to follow that. That makes sameness. Everything starts looking the same. Uh, you know, we have these indestructible, uh, smelly bedspreads. Uh, you know, <laughs> when we were the first ones to do white sheets, white towels, duvets, unpatterned carpets, uh, paint on the walls, um, uh, glass shower doors. Seems like a doesn't seem like a big thing, but there were no glass shower doors because there was liability concerns, fireplaces. We did all those, um, uh, all those, those, those firsts, and, and and the business model also. We had a disproportionate amount of transient business, which is the best business. So, um, you know, that was a very Morgan's was a very quiet, 
understated, introverted hotel that really felt residential, not just lip service, really felt residential. You walk in there and you felt you were in somebody's home. Then we did the Royalton, uh, and um, uh, we didn't want people to pick up from Walkins and go stay in the Royalton, the latest and the greatest. We wanted it to have a different personality. You know, like if, if, if Morgans had no lobby, Royalton was going to have a big beehive of a lobby. If uh, Morgans had no bathtubs, Royalton was going to have big bathtubs. And we juxtaposed it like that. And, and Morgans and Royalton together to, were the prototypes for every other boutique hotel you see today. Everyone. Some of them are good, some of them are not so good, but they're all derivative of, of uh, that. I wish somebody else was saying that, but uh, <laughs> that's, uh, you can. <laughs> that's, that's the truth. Um, and looking back, I mean, you didn't, was it good that you hadn't done a hotel before? I mean, what were some of the greatest challenges that you faced then besides not having a liquor license? But um, Well, we didn't have a liquor license in the Royal Tanita. Uh, we got it later, so, uh, you know, we, we couldn't, have, you know, we would, for room service, you know, we would go across the street, buy something, bring it in the hotel, <laughs> put it in the plates, take it up. Uh, you know, you'll always hear that kind of story, every success, just the way it is. Yeah. You know, no rules, whatever it takes. Uh, and um, so, uh, you know, I think, uh, I don't know, that's, uh, that was the approach that we had, and we, I still have it. It's still what interests me. And from there, you know, there was the Hudson, Delano, St. Martin's Lane. Um, was the goal always to create a collection of hotels, or was just that the opportunity presented itself and then you continued on? You know, we were, didn't want to do a chain. Uh, we wanted to be the anti-chain. All the hotels had different names, and I don't think that was smart. You know, I think uh, they could have had all one name. It's something the big companies and the public markets understand. People would, would not think that we'd be selling out if we had a brand, which is what I used to think. So I think that was a mistake. I didn't have to have all different kind of names. You could have had one name. There was a certain attitude, an approach. You knew you were in one of our hotels, and I think it would have created more business value, Steve and I, if we, uh, if we had a brand. You know, I've learned uh, certain things. Like even, you know, when uh, I did the deal with Marriott, everybody said, oh, you're selling out. <laughs> I couldn't sell out. <laughs> I couldn't do it. You know, I... I, I you know, and I, and, and I haven't. And I told everybody everyone hotel was going to be different and, and so on and so forth. I mean, it's been difficult times. <laughs> there are, uh, you know, where they do everything by consensus. I don't do anything by consensus. <laughs> uh, you know, they're a very democratic. Uh, we, we are a tyranny. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I learned a lot working uh, uh, you know, with Marriott, and it, it whet my appetite uh, to do something on a much uh, bigger scale, okay. which is what we're trying to do with public. Yeah. All right, so let's start, we'll go back in a second to Morgan's, but, and uh, the early days, but let's talk a little bit. You said that um, Arnie, who's the CEO of Marriott, took a chance on you. Can you 
talk a little bit about why you think that was so? Well, you know, uh, that was a, uh, you know, Marriott behaved the way a lot of big companies do behave. When they enter into a new market, they kind of lay back. They want to make sure that it's a real business. You know, then they pounce in and they control the market. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm not your uh, typical Marriott guy. Uh, and, uh, you know, they were, uh, there was, there was uh, you know, some territorial things that had to kind of be worked out. Uh, and, uh, you know, he, you know, I think it was Arnie that wanted to get into the space. I mean, there are thousands of versions of these lifestyle hotels. It's not a small business. It's a big business uh, with premium rates and premium occupancies and a better business model. Uh, uh, and so it, we, he took a chance. And, and by the way, you know, they put out about uh, eight or $900,000 to buy the hotels uh, because Arnie, uh, you, know, you know, believed in it. You know, it's so lucky. If all the great hoteliers... All of them love design. They all love to create things, all of them. You know, from Statler on, they're all the same. You know, now sometimes finance guys, marketing guys get a hold of the company, but the real hoteliers, they want to create something. Uh, the, uh, that, that's what Arnie did, that's the risk he took. You know, the, if you want to marry it, you know, I, uh, I don't know how they felt, I don't know how they still feel, <laughs> but I know Arnie, uh, is my guardian angel over there because he knows that there isn't all I really want, all I care about is the product. You know, if they open up a product that's not good, I take a hit. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, so I really, uh, you know, I've even put money into a project. You know, if I thought that it needed something and the owner wouldn't and, and Mario wouldn't. And what did you want to create with addition? What, what you was know, the space uh, you wanted to disrupt? That particular space in the business is really overcrowded. Everybody's running into it. It took them 25 years to figure it out. Just like the CNN, there's news networks all over. That's the way it is in, in, in the capitalist society. So it's overcrowded. Everybody's looking for a niche. Little this, you, know, you can't distinguish the hotel because this one's red and that one's blue. You know, there has to be a reason for being. And I thought that all the livestock people, uh, you know, were focusing on design. They didn't really have a vision, so it was contrived. Uh, you know, um, people from a big hotel company who call up the Wall Street Journal want to get a story on the color of the new bathroom tile they have. The Wall Street Journal doesn't care about that. Uh, but, but they don't kind of understand because it's derivative. I thought with addition that if, if we can do uh, uh, the, the, as sophisticated of design, maybe more sophisticated, and have the same great food and beverage options and the great bars and, and the great entertainment that people are used to getting from us, but on top of that, we can layer in a really high level of service, non-obsequious service, service that... Uh, how may I help you when you call the phone? But, you know, really genuine humanity and dealing with people when they're in the hotel. If, if we could pull that off, that could separate addition from, from uh, everybody else. And so that's the idea. It's a luxury lifestyle hotel, and it's kind of, um, you know, 
I don't know to marry it like this, but I, I could even see it taking the baton from uh, Ritz Carlton because it's younger and uh, and uh, it's more fun and uh, and uh, it's very sophisticated. That was the idea of uh, of uh, addition. Yeah, and there's one right around the corner. That's your latest. Um, and how has it evolved? How have you seen the brand evolve, and how have you helped create? or change it along the way? Um. Well, everyone is different. Of course, they have common denominators. You know, we're doing it. I, I told everybody, everyone's gonna, be, everyone's gonna be different because different physical plants, different locations, different designers. I can't work with designers on Marriott that are really out there because Marriott wouldn't have the patience for that. Um, so I have to work with uh, more known quantities and, and push. In, in, in public and in other things, I can work with those designers that are out there because I do have the patience for it. Get something uh, uh, really edgy, you know, groundbreaking. Uh, it's, uh, I think, uh, you know, our, our design sense is just getting better and better and better. More and more refined, more and more pared down. No gratuitous, superfluous gestures. Uh, and I kind of know the universe of possibilities, so it, it happens fast for me. I mean, I'm working on 40 Marriott's now, and I can, uh, it, it, it just happens fast for me. Where before, I used to walk the street trying to decide on something. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So after all this time, you know, um, it is true. The reflexes don't keep up and all those kind of things, but the, the brain... Uh, <laughs> With the wisdom comes, and so I find it easier. If I could sit down and do a hotel with my guys, and have a lot of great people, and it just it's very quick, and so that that's the kind of benefit, you know, with where we we are today. But but I I, I like to think that sometimes. You know, you have great architects, and every time they step up, they do a different kind of project, a different kind of look. Herzog, Demir, and I like that. Then you have architects like. Uh, these Van Duel or Richard Meyer, they just keep refining and refining and getting better and better at, at uh, what they do. I think we're getting better. And I think that, uh, and we love it. Uh, and I think the people I've been working with, some of them for 25 years, you know, one person for 40 years, you know, we, we you know, it's like uh, we all communicate uh, very good. I'm not afraid to make a mistake. Um, which I think is important. And uh, I still love what I do. If I didn't, I wouldn't do it anymore. Yeah. And looking at some of the photos of St. Martin's and Delano, and um, so it, it's definitely a different different time for, you know, design and what you're doing. Talk a little bit, though, about Philippe uh, Stark and working with him. And, I mean, that was kind of your second relationship after, after Steve because you worked with him for many years. But... I mean, Leap. you guys really pushed the envelope in terms of what design was at Philippe that time. was great. You can see, you can understand Philippe by looking at the boats <laughs> he does. I mean, they are, here's a new sailboat, a new motor yacht. I mean, new stuff. Uh, and, uh, you, know, uh, you know, Philippe was brilliant, iconoclastic. You know, we were kindred spirits. You know, I, I remember seeing his work in a design magazine. You know, it was a French brasserie, but he updated it in some kind of way, made it modern. And, and when you went to the bathroom, you didn't know 
what to do. Uh, <laughs> you know, but, you know, I, so I just called him. He also came from the nightclub world. Uh, and, um, you know, we just hit it off. When I did Morgan's, I did it with Andre. She was a great, Andre Putman. She was a great stylist, but not an original designer of things. And Philippe was an original designer of furniture, so it was just my continuing to evolve. And, uh, you know, we went off and, uh, and did a lot of great, uh, great, great uh, success together. Um, and uh, still a, a very, very good friend, a friend of mine. I actually love him. I mean, he, he's very undisciplined. You know, sometimes I would get my plans on toilet paper. You know, it's <laughs> like, uh, but... It was worth, you know, the aggravation. And, and now you'll see with Philippe that, you know, he's kind of uh, taking from every little thing he does and puts it into a, uh, uh, into a project. But with the boats, he did Steve Jobs' boat. It's, it's beautiful. Uh, did a couple of others. It just, uh, and I, I still think he's brilliant. And I still think uh, he's doing great stuff. Um, he's my age. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very, very, very happy for his uh, uh, big success. Uh, and everyone uh, was skeptical of it as well. All the people to say, uh, you know, I, I gave him the opportunity, but I didn't. I mean, it was Philippe. Huh. He was a, br- a brilliant talent. Uh, and um, so. And you, you said Delano was a big moment for um, for you and for... I think the design in terms of leaving New York, going to Miami and, you know, doing that whole white scheme. Can you talk a little bit about what that meant to you at that time? It's the only time I had a fight with Philippe, uh, you know, because uh, I didn't want what we had done in New York. This was an important project for me. It would have made me more than a New York City phenomenon. I was going outside, you know, all the people on my, my, my staff wanted to do another hotel. I wanted to do the Delano, maybe because I... Uh, I stayed there with my parents when I was a young kid. I, you know, I, I don't know. So, you know, I wanted Philippe to make a presentation. Uh, and he was uh, insulted. Uh, and, uh, but, uh, you know, we worked it out. And I think he did a really, really, really great job there. And we, you know, we were, you know, we weren't going to do pastels. Uh, you know, we, you know we, we were kind of inspired by uh, uh, the plantations in the South, uh, a lot of the Florida kind of things outside of Miami Beach, uh, you know, uh, we, you know, the hotels there grew up, you know, uh, with, when air conditioning was first invented. So you know, these women with first stoles walking around the lobby, uh, and uh, so this was going to be a new. It was Southern, it was Florida, but the old Florida, uh, and uh, to Philippe's credit. You know, he did a pool there. You know, he doesn't. He comes from a country that they don't have a pool in every backyard, the way suburban homes here. And he did a pool that everybody copied. Everybody uh, to, to, to attest to uh, his brilliance. And it took like thirty or forty variances, you know, to get it done. It was only five feet deep. It was a big water salon. It was a big bath. And it was heated in Miami. You know, so I remember when we were in the business, you look at all the other hotels with all the pools empty. 
odds with, you know, packed people. Uh, and, uh, and I think, uh, like all the projects, Miami rat- ratcheted it up. I was no longer uh, a New York phenomenon. You know, what we did traveled. Uh, and um, we, we paid $3 million for the Delano. Uh, we put, it, put in um, $20 million to fix it up, about 100000 a key. And, uh, you know, they're trying to, it's still doing business. It's 20 some odd years later, it still does 15 or 18 million a year in NOI, and they're looking to sell it for a, a couple of hundred million. I sold it already. (laughs) (laughs) It's a testament to what you've done. And you've mentioned public a couple times and the photos are flipping through. Uh, Talk a little bit about public here on the Lower East Side and what space there you wanted to reinvent or rethink. I think public, the most important idea I ever had. Um, You know, we we made some mistakes there, uh, you know, in, in trying to tap into what's happening, which is always the way we start a project, you know, uh, we thought that um, the population is uh, in this country is going to 1% and everybody else. So well, why shouldn't hotels follow that too? You know, they always have traditionally. So, you know, we thought there ought to be like a hotel for the public uh, like the way Volkswagen was, you know, a people's car, a people's hotel. Uh, and uh, the mistake we made is because we, we, we thought that by, by having the same kind of food and beverage and having a really, really sophisticated design and getting rid of those services that were meaningless to people, that this was a new modern luxury for all. I still feel that. But by using the word luxury, it kind of confused people what to expect. Uh, and uh, so uh, we're going to change that. Uh, we're going to change that line, uh, even though I still feel it is luxury for all. A luxury that's accessible to everybody and anybody that wants it. But, it, you know, we don't have Bellman. We don't have Bellman because everybody has wheels on their suitcases. Uh, you know, we don't have room service, uh, which is going to disappear because uh, I don't want to spend $30 to get a cup of coffee and a donut, Uh, and and so on and so forth. Uh, So we're going to, we have to change that because people came in and started thinking, hey, you know, it's like I remember when we opened up the Paramount, uh, you know, we were were charging $100 uh, for a room there. Let's say we were charging $200 at the Royalton. And, uh, and uh, people were worried. Well, everyone's going to leave the Royalton because they're going to want to spend $100. Well, you're not getting a $200 experience for $100. Uh, and people will learn that. You know, it's a different product. Uh, and um, so, you know, I think uh, a public is, 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 is not for millennials. I think that's the stupidest idea I ever heard. Doing a hotel for millennials. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, Apple doesn't do phones for millennials. They do phones for everybody. Uh, and uh, so, uh, uh, you know, making great design accessible to everybody and anybody, uh, that's a sensibility. 
It's not a, a demographic criteria. Where, how old you are, how much you make. No, it either, from the nightclub too, by the way, it either resonates with you or not. Uh, and uh, making that accessible to people, rich people, rich people too, uh, you know, who don't want to spend 2000 for a room, would want to spend a couple hundred dollars for a room. You know, uh, and staying in a small room like a cabin on a yacht and having lots of public space, uh, you know, for all your... Uh, uh, entertainment. And, uh, you know, that lifestyle hotel has been the inspiration for WeWork. If you ask Adam Newman, he'll tell you that our hotels was his inspiration. For now, uh, residences. Uh, I mean, it's so, it's just, this public social space allows you to do something different in a room which should be used for sleeping and bathing. And, and you have uh, everything else uh, in the public space. And so I think um, public is in that space. Give everybody my idea here, you know. <laughs> public is in that space, the most profitable space in the industry, dominated now by Courtyard, by Marriott, and Hilton Garden Inn. And doing the same thing in that space that we did in boutique 25 years ago. Go in, rethink it, take it up a notch, put good design in there, put profitable food and beverage in there where the big companies can't do that, uh, and, uh, and get a premium on it, and get a premium of, of, of occupancy on it. it just, and instead of it being a 75 to 150 unit business, get that 1,000 rooms, 1,000 hotels. You know, which is what Marriott has and what Hilton has. I mean, it could be, uh, you know, really, uh, I think it's a really important idea. I always think it's an important idea uh, to do something for, for everybody. Like Charles Eames uh, used to say, which is one of the things we're thinking of using, you know, the best for the most, for the least. You know, that's public. And I think that's a, that's a, that's a very, very important you know, idea. Yeah. Why um, I'm I'm very excited about it. Yeah. So is that where you're looking? What you know? What's next for you? Is that what you're looking at? Is to try to expand? We're public trying or? to expand public now. Uh, you know, uh, you know, I've been partners with Marriott now for twelve years. You know, I really love those guys. I learned a lot from them. Uh, uh, you know, uh, but uh, uh, it it distracted me a little bit from public. Uh, you know, I want to, I, I think public is an important idea. I, I, I want to take it out. You know, I want to do a bunch in New York and Miami and and uh, other places. And so we're getting together a group of people uh, so that we can really uh, do a bunch of them. We're almost out of time before we do some questions. But just to end, what, you know, are you... Still so involved. I mean, I know details has always been what your strongest point is, but talk a little bit about, you know, what still gets you up each day and are, how involved are you still in the day-to-day? -day? You know, what do you think has been some of those secrets to success that has, you know, created this longevity there, for you? Uh, there's two secrets. One, you have to love what you do. How could you be good at something if you don't love it? And uh, two, you have to not be afraid of making a mistake. 
you know, public companies can't make mistakes because they got shareholders, they got, you know, other things. I, I don't care about making a mistake. If I make a mistake, I pick myself up, dust myself off, and try something else. Um, like if this luxury for all that we did with public that we're going to change, if that happened at a big company, it would be seismic. It would be a major, major, major problem. And, uh, you know, so I love what I do. And uh, I think uh, that's the secret. You know, so I do it uh, to, uh, to live. You know, I, you know, I got a great family and I got a great work. Richest guy in the world, mm-hmm. everything. Uh, and, uh, you know, I still, you know, enjoy, you know, uh, putting it in the face of the skeptics. I still enjoy it. <laughs> uh, uh, so does anyone, we have about a couple minutes for questions. Oh, yeah, okay, lots of questions. Okay, um, do we have a mic? Perfect. To Adam and Nicole. So my question is going to be, hey, my question is going to be very selfish. I'm sorry. Um, I'm a little obsessed with this um, Ian, Steve, gay guy, straight guy bromance in the 70s when it wasn't so easy to be gay. Um, You know, and I think in many ways he's still here for you. He's in you. He's with you doing all this stuff. Uh, Is there one thing that you would say that he gave you in that relationship? And also another selfish question how did you resolve conflict? How what? How, How did you resolve conflict between the two of you? <laughs> That's his part. Sorry, Drew. <laughs> you know, uh, um, I, I didn't care if uh, Steve was gay. It didn't make a difference. I, he thought I might care. I, I didn't care. Uh, I was the last to know. As a matter of fact, uh, <laughs> he didn't want me to know, I think, maybe thought I would be judgmental about it. We had a lot of friends that were gay. A lot of the people that were setting the cultural tone in the city were gay. They were our friends. Um, uh, I, I was always, uh, you know, it's so funny, because when we were in college, Steve didn't get into the fraternity that we all wanted to get into, because they considered his effervescence and enthusiasm, I don't know, maybe not cool or something, I don't really know. So then you jump forward, he comes to New York, he's a toast of the town. You know, I, I you know, to tell my kids that, you know, because uh, you don't do good in a spelling bee doesn't mean you're not going to be a great success later. So I, I, I think Steve was good with people because he genuinely loved people and he was engaged with them and they felt that and I think that's the thing I uh, think about uh, uh, Steve uh, the most, and he was sharp as a tax, uh, and he wanted success as bad as I did. Uh, his brother was 6'4", so, you know, I, I'm trying to figure out where the, where the drive comes from. And uh, in terms of about being gay, uh, you know, uh, you know, I, I in the beginning, I thought that Steve was maybe gay because he thought it was cool to be gay. <laughs> I, I, I didn't, 
I, I didn't know. Uh, and uh, then, uh, you know, I was the last that came up. I don't even think he ever said anything to me until I said, you know, I don't really, I don't care one, one bit. And uh, then it was, uh, um, everything was great. The thing is that, uh, you know, Steve wound up getting sick and a lot of our friends didn't get sick. So he was, you know, maybe not as careful as he should have been. Um, hi, Ian. This hi. is so exciting for me. Your work with Philippe Stark kind of defined my life. Um, so it's really Thank exciting you. to um, to hear you speak today. Um, I'm a huge fan of the edition. Uh, the one in Madison Square Park was like a second home to me. The lighting and the scent are such a big part of the experience. I'd really love to know how you developed the scent with the label and how that's a part of the experience at the edition. You know, we were the first ones that went to the Labo. The first one. This was before they were bought by, I think, uh, Saint Laurent. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, the rule is uh, you assault as many senses as you can. Touch, feel, taste, all of them. And, uh, you know, having a, a distinctive, um, you know, scent in the air, I think, is important. Uh, I think the first one, uh, I'm not sure where we did it first, but um, it's just an important, it's just part of the whole package. Uh, I, I think it's... it's uh, it's a very kind of important. And uh, now the Labo would become a huge success. They're very uh, expensive now. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we do our own stuff uh, uh, now. But I think it's very important. You know, anything that can touch a person emotionally, anything, anything that they will take note of, it's important to have that because you never know which detail is going to be the detail that pushes it over the top. So therefore, all the details are, are important. How the sheets feel, and, you know, everything. You know, uh, we cut out a lot of, uh, at, at the public, we took away a lot of the bathroom amenities because um, we didn't think anybody cared about them. Like it's like body lotion. So we took it out. <laughs> now everybody comes in and asks us for body lotion. <laughs> like, uh, I think because they want to see it there because it's a telltale sign of, of, uh, of uh, something. But I do want to tell you this, not having room service has not been an issue. Not a bit. Uh, you're going to see room service disappear. Because uh, it's... Uh, it's uh, it, 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 I don't know if it's financially viable, uh, and uh, except for maybe those one percent hotels, where like in Europe, you know, they would serve you uh, um, the room service a course at a time, you know, from a pantry in the hallway. You know, maybe maybe that if somebody you know pays big money, but I think it's just one of those things that uh, you know. Um, I don't think people care about. Sorry? Not the body lotion. She hoards it. She hoards your body lotion. She hoards your body lotion. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, right. that's one of the reasons we're changing this luxury for all thing. Because we need to set up the level of expectations for when people come here. You know, this is less, is, is, is more, but it's, it's also better. Um, so, 
One more question, Bashar. Good morning. So uh, we in the industry all seem to think Schrager and Marriott is oil and water, yet you make it sound like it's unicorns and rainbows. So how does a visionary that's boundary-less who wants to change the world fit into that machine in Bethesda? How has your experience been? Respect. You know, Arnie and I have a close personal relationship, and we respect each other. You know, they wanted the same thing that, uh, you know, I wanted. Uh, you know, those guys, although on their outward appearance, seem different. Like, you know, Bill, the gray suit and the red tie. Uh, you know, uh, um, I, I remember the initial press conference. He wanted me to get in a gray suit and a red tie. He was going to wear a black T-shirt. That I'm not doing. <laughs> uh, but they have the same drive, the same... The inner qualities are, are, are the same. It was difficult in the beginning. You know, I did a meet with a Marriott guy. You can't have a cantilever desk. People are going to sit on it. It'll break. Oh, where is that written? You know, uh, um, um, so it was difficult in the beginning. It was a little bit like sticking the hand in the cage where the cat is, getting scratched, and eventually... The deck got cleared, uh, and uh, I was able to do because it was successful. Uh, if it wasn't successful, it wouldn't take anything from me. But 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 there's a, there's a respect um, that we have to each other. Like I often ask myself, would I like to deal with the real estate robber barons of New York City that I deal with all the time, with or or, or the guys uh, from uh, Marriott? Uh, everything by consensus. Everything takes so long. Neither one is perfect. But I find the Marriott guys honest and straight. And it's kind of refreshing. And so you've got to get used to it. <laughs> but uh, for those who do the real estate in New York, I mean, it's, it's a killer. Uh, um, so I, I, I like the Marriott guys. And I'm, I can't tell you who, but I'm going to be doing uh, something with another big company uh, as well, who, who I, I think is worse than, worse than Marriott. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good place to end the conversation. <laughs> episode of Hospitality Design's What I've Learned podcast was brought to you by Global Allies. You can learn more about the company at globalallies.com. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe and review us on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find full episodes and transcripts at hospitalitydesign.com.